Alright, welcome in, Johnny Radio Sports Companion Show, we've done one of these before, we are joined, it's obviously myself, Brad Wakai, Johnny Radio himself, Matt Johnston, Tyson Gentry, Kyle Banaszewski, first and foremost, I gotta ask how you're doing, we're gonna start with the Johnny Radio man himself, Matt, how was your day today? Today's been great, today's been great. Uh, we had a great weekend of basketball. Uh, we're going to get a lot into that. Uh, as far as myself, Brad, thank you for asking. You know, it's always a, you know, it's always a polite way to introduce someone. Uh, you know, it's good to see other faces on the screen besides yours. So always very happy is. to be here. You know, always is. Tyson, we'll go around the horn here. How was uh, your day today? How you doing? Man, I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back. It's been a minute. We were trying to set this thing up for a little while, but we got it all done, and it couldn't have come at a better time. We got a lot of stuff to go over today. We do, and the man who is really just fucking our schedule up, Kyle Banaszewski. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, Brad. It's a pleasure to be back with you boys. Um, my schedule down here has been a little uh, rough recently, so I apologize for that. Really diving in deep to some stuff at work and uh, getting serious again in the gym. So, been busy with that, but all is well. We have a lot to discuss uh, here tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think he's getting back in the gym because we got a lot of pro days and, you know, we got shirtless mammoths just running around and you're just like, God, I wish I looked like that. So maybe maybe we'll have to dive into that. That's something that uh, Kyle's getting back into because of that. But like like Johnny alluded to, we're going to start with college basketball, the biggest tournament really in the world. I think 64 teams. I think the World Cup's going to eclipse that in a, in a few sessions, but 64 teams, really 68 if you include the first four. But now we are standing with four left. Gonzaga, they're going to face UCLA, who's been the Cinderella of all Cinderella runs on this one. Um, and then the other side of the bracket, Baylor is going to take on Houston, a battle of two Texas teams and old South Southwest Conference foes. So I want to start this before we dive into teams, anything like that. I heard, and I've kind of seen on social media, other people say that this has not been a great tournament and that they haven't been a fan of it. Um, Thoughts on that? Sounds like people are losing a lot of money out there. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you, it, it's been a bracket, it's been a tournament really filled with a lot of upsets. But you look at it where it stands right now. If you don't look at Michigan and you exclude them, it's really all chalk in the uh, semifinals, which is, you know, usually not the case. We usually have some six, seventeens flirting in there. Um, really UCLA, I hate to call them a Cinderella because of their, you know, stance of the program, but you know, it's really been all chalk leading up to the final four here. Um, and there really haven't been that many surprises. We've had some good games, uh, recently, but, um, you know, for my opinion, I think it's been a good tournament overall. Yeah. I mean, I was so starved of not having March Madness after last year. It could have just been straight chalk all the way through and I would have enjoyed it. So like, to say it's not a good tournament, I think we're spoiled because, like, Gonzaga's played really well. They've been beating teams the way we thought they were going to. Baylor's been playing really well, and that was kind of the two teams before. Like, if Oklahoma State makes a run or Illinois makes a run, then, like, we're looking at a really, like, what everyone thought was going to happen. I mean, a 15 seed uh, winning games, or Roberts in the Sweet 16, like, how are you going to complain? Sister Jean yeah. is, like, 103. She's chilling in the stands. Like, it was – I had a good time watching this tournament, and it's not done. And these games coming up are going to be battles, man. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think credit needs to be uh, given out 
to, you know, everyone involved with making this tournament possible. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it could be like last year and there may not have been a tournament at all um, unless they got it together. Um, on the point of the games, I mean, I believe that Gonzaga is clearly the best team. Um, and there were some upsets early, and I, I think people are probably reacting the way they are just because early on I think people did probably lose a lot of money and people's brackets got busted uh, right off the jump, especially with like Illinois losing. I know a lot of people had them in the finals, myself included. But, I mean, hey, it's just really nice to be able to watch a huge tournament like this really, um, you know, go through all the way with no uh, real foreseeable issues. So hats off to them. Absolutely. Um, before we dive into Gonzaga, because, I mean, they're they're the team that it's their tournament to lose. And I think, you know, people are saying that after their first game of the season, after you saw them with Jalen Suggs. But, yeah, I mean, a ton of credit needs to be given to the NCAA. I know they're a punching bag for a lot of factors and deservedly so in many cases. But putting this into the bubble in Indianapolis, you know, in pretty famous arenas, right, like uh, Indiana's arena, Hinkle, you know, Butler's arena, and you got the Pacers stadium and or arena. You know, it's it's been fantastic, right? You got the fans. A lot of these kids haven't played in front of fans in a while. So getting that natural juice back in the arena, it's been awesome. And like to Tyson's point, I mean, how like we're really going to complain about a March Madness tournament when we literally didn't have one last year. Like it, it seems crazy to me. And especially when you have Oral Roberts, who was literally an inch away from going to the Elite Eight. Um, I mean, Tex uh, Abilene Christian, they beat Texas, who was going a long way, Loyal Chicago, you know, obviously another story there. And a lot of a lot of um lower seeds performing and going the distance. So I mean, I think it's been fantastic storyline wise as well. But I think the big storyline and what we need to dive into right now, Gonzaga. I mean, they kick the shit out of teams. You know, they they've only not beaten a team by double digits once, and that was beating West Virginia by five. So every game they're 30 and 0. They've beaten they've won 29 games by double digits. And everybody's like, oh, their schedule schedule soft. But you look at who they played, and they played really solid teams. Iowa, they crushed, Virginia, they smoked. And it's it's just been an impressive run for for this school. I'm rooting for them. I like Mark Few. I actually went to a basketball camp at Gonzaga. He's he caught he taught some drills and he was great. And you can see why players love him. You know, he, he owns he owned the room. And, you know, I'm root, I'm rooting for him to finally get it done. But I mean, this team with Jalen Suggs at the helm is they just taking that program to an, to another level. It's it's impressive to watch. Yeah, you see a lot of arguments online, like is Gonzaga the greatest basketball team of all NCAA basketball team of all time? And, you know, that's there's a lot of debate in that, obviously. But, you know, the conversation is so stirred. And, you know, you look at that game against USC, they ended up winning by 19 they come out hot. They're up seven nothing. You know they never look back. And you look at a USC defense that over the year, over this year, has been fantastic. I think they were the fourth best defense ranked in the country, and they just torched them. You know they were doing like a uh, like a Globetrotters like atmosphere. You know they were doing bounce <laughs> passes, power dunks. You know you know all these fancy moves. They did whatever they want with USC. And if and that was really their best test, you know what I mean. And you know the way they're set up right now with UCLA, and then you know heading into the final against either Baylor or um, Houston, I really don't see anyone stopping them. I I think personally, like for this year's Gonzaga team, it's the best of both worlds, right? Because 
years in years past it's been like the Gonzaga style of basketball, but it's been like Karnowski is the big guy in the post. He's never playing in the NBA. This year they got two solid NBA players in Suggs and Kispert. Uh, Drew Timmy's killing people. So it's like Gonzaga of the past, but they moved into a more modern college basketball style. They're getting up and down the court quickly. You know, they're locking people down on defense. And it's just, it's been impressive to watch. And like, to your point about them not playing anybody, they tried to play Baylor. Baylor got COVID. They like, mm -hmm. they went and they scheduled everybody they could and they beat the shit out of everybody that they put in front of them. Like they're 30 point favorites for a reason. And like, <laughs> they're not winning those games by 11, 12. Like, they're, they're pushing the spread every time against those West Coast Conference schools. And, like, BYU was no joke. So their schedule was better than people give them credit for. And they're just much more athletic than they've been in years past. And I think that's, like, the real difference between this Gonzaga team and the ones a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I have uh, them winning the tournament. And going into the USC game, uh, I was actually a little bit worried. I mean, USC was playing hot. They were shooting, I believe, over 50% from the three-point uh, line. And just after watching that game, it was just a dismantling. And Gonzaga is just nonstop on offense. They can score at will. And when they need to lock down and do what they need to do, especially down low, like they are a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, I really do think it's their tournament to lose at this point. And I really think if they do win it all, there's going to be a discussion that maybe they are one of the best teams to, you know, ever go through this whole process. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but w would they be the first undefeated team since what, like UNLV back in the nineties? Uh, Indiana, Indiana in the, in the 1970s, yeah. four or six or mm -hmm. whatever that, whatever the year is. Cause I think UNLV lost or, like it's some, some game. I think they only lost one game that year. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's uh they're flirting with history, you know, it's, it's impressive. I mean, I got to do my favorite move right now, the Drew Timmy when he dunks it, and it's just so, it's so sick. And they got Beautiful. they're playing with swagger, and it really is that offense because you watch, and it's just so different than every offense you see in college basketball because they cut, they move, and they constantly are sharing the ball. And I think a lot – I had Florida State beating Michigan. I thought they were going to play better defensively on the perimeter and had length to compete with Michigan. But the problem with Florida State is their offense is terrible. It, you know, I mean, it's just so it's so hard to watch. Everything's tough. There's nothing. You're like in quicksand. And Gonzaga is just so beautiful to watch, right? It's just like perfect offense, and it's just so smooth. They play well off each other. Getting the transfer from Florida, Nim Nimhard, I think is how you pronounce it. I that's a great pickup. And just hearing how Mark Few was like, "Hey, is this gonna ruffle the the locker room? Do we need him?" And everybody's like, no, we want him. We can win a championship. That speaks to the character of that locker room. And back to your point, uh, Kyle, I was I was a little bit nervous for the USC game because of the length of Mobley. I wasn't sure, but I guess both Mobley brothers, really, Evan and Isaiah, if, how they were going to match up. They, USC was shooting well, and it's like one of those teams, you know, they, when they get hot and you have a top three pick in the upcoming draft, it, that's, that's a tough competition. But immediately in the game, Gonzaga was in a track meet and USC was in a shot put competition. I mean, that was completely different levels of athleticism. And we're talking about Southern California athletes versus Spokane, Washington. And it was, I mean, it was eye-opening just how, how elite Gonzaga is. I think this is the way college basketball is going to move. The way that they play, I think that 
it's they're showing this year that nobody can, can play defense on that style of uh, offense that they play, and they've been killing it in recruiting. They've been picking up all the people in the transfer portal. I think this is just the beginning of – we've been saying that for a long time, man. It's the beginning of the Gonzaga dynasty. But if they really win one and get that monkey off their back, it's going to be tough for people to compete with them. Yeah, they've been flirting it with it ever since the Adam Morrison days in the mid-2000s. You know but who I mean? they lose to? UCLA, yeah. Mm-hmm. A little revenge mm-hmm. factor for Mark Few. I mean, we talk about Gonzaga's offense too, but you look at their defense. I mean, they held when they were playing Creighton, you know, one bucket over seven and a half minutes. They've been stepping up too. But if you're scoring ninety points a game on Gonzaga's side, you know, you gotta you gotta make you gotta you gotta match them shot for shot. And Baylor's the only team that might be able to do that, but we can get into that a little bit. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good look ahead. Before we get across there and before we kind of preview the Gonzaga UCLA game, because I think we all have a strong feeling about it. Let's just talk about the UCLA run that they've gone on here because let's 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 go back from the beginning. Mick Cronin was hired as the head coach leaving Cincinnati. He was I th- I think the athletic director said he wasn't our third choice. Like he might have been the fourth or fifth choice of, to be hired there. People lamented it, said it's not going to work. You can't get a Cincinnati guy in Beverly Hills. That's not And look what he's done here. I tweeted I thought pretty funny tweets during the game. I was like, when did Mick Cronin move Cincinnati to Beverly Hills? Because, I mean, they legitimately just, they dig in on defense. It looked like it was going to get ugly in that Michigan game. And thank God for Johnny Juzang for that team because if he didn't hit shots, that thing would have gotten ugly real fast. But they play defense. They compete. It, it really looks like a classic Mick Cronin team, and they're just wearing light blue uniforms that say UCLA on the, top, on, the on the front. And now – Mick Cronin's in his first Final Four, repeating what Shaka Smart did at UCLA or at VCU, going from the first four into the Final Four. And really, let's not forget they should have lost to Michigan State. Like Michigan State choked that game away, and now here's history. UCLA's right back in. It, it's been an impressive run. And if I didn't like Gonzaga so much and love this team so much and how they play, it'd be tough to the roof for UCLA because you know they play together, they play hard, and. Johnny Juzang's my guy, man. That that stroke is pure. Yeah, think- I, I was going to say, I was going to jump in real quick. I mean, UCLA right now is playing with, you know, house money. You know, they're leaving it all on the table. They have nothing to lose. You know, they play hard, they dig in, and they play as a team, which, you know, really shows, especially in college, was, you know, if the team is inconsistent, not making shots, and the other team is, you know, hunkering down on D, and they just, you know, keep it together – you know, clearly you could see you can make a run. And I think that's going to, you know, bode well for the program in the coming years. I think it's going to bring a lot of people in and they're going to have some talent. You think John Calabari's kicking himself for letting Juzang walk out the door? Well, they did that little CBS special. And it was really when Juzang went back home during the pandemic. And he was like, dude, what am I doing in Kentucky? I'm in LA. I'm a Southern Cal kid. I got to be back here. So I don't know if Calipari, you know, maybe if he would have given him like a Ferrari or something. Oh, they probably he probably got one already. <laughs> probably got probably one, down yeah. there. But they've been playing so hard, man. And to your point on Mick Cronin, like they were one of the top teams in uh, in pace over the last couple of seasons, like dating back to the Lonzo Ball days. They just went up and down and up and down. Tiger Campbell now is just like he doesn't cross the half court line until 21 seconds on the yeah. shot clock. And they they work for their looks. Uh, they run really good actions out there. Um it kind of got stale for a little bit when Juzang got hurt. That's something to monitor um, going forward, how his ankle feels moving into this game. Cause 
if he's not good to go and he's not the same guy dropping 25, Gonzaga is going to boat race them directly out the stadium. Yeah, I, I think something to watch too. If, if, as we move, let's move into this preview then and just, just stick with this game. I don't know how Cody Riley matches up in t- on the interior with Drew Timmy. He's undersized. He's not as quick. And if Drew Timmy is going to eat up Evan Mobley, my God, what's he going to do to Cody Riley? Because Hunter Dickinson at this point, that's your guy, Tyson, but he really only has one move down low, and that's over his right shoulder, a little jump hook. And it works because he's so big. Drew Timmy has a whole bag down there. I mean, we he had it all on display against USC. He's had it on display all year, but it was eye-opening what he did against the Mobley brothers because he had jump hook, he had spin, go by, he can pass out. I mean, it's impressive what he can do down there. And when they go down there and it, he, you can get easy buckets with Timmy, well, that opens up the floor for the shooters. I.e., Suggs can go downhill at will. And, and that's really the key to their offense. So I'm not sure how they match up down low just to start out with this game. And, and that's what I'm keying on as, as my true, like, what I'm watching for going into this one. Yeah, you really asked like, how does he match up? And the the short answer is he doesn't. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see if they could get any sort of pressure down low and to see if they can you know prevent that kick out to those shooters because if Gonzaga keeps making buckets the way they're doing it, you know, like I said, there's no stopping them. I'm curious what the matchup is going to be if Hawkes is going to come out on Suggs or if he's going to be guarding Kispert because I think he's probably their biggest chance at winning the game is if he can shut down one of those guys. But like I alluded to when we were talking, they got NBA players on this Gonzaga team. It's not uh, guys going in the Gonzaga College Basketball Hall of Fame. These are lottery picks. So, like, you shut down Corey Kispert, then Jalen Suggs is going to go crazy. And then that's off of, like, Timmy's getting 20 and 10. That, like, that's what he does. He's done it. He just did it against, like, a top three prospect in Evan Mobley, a great defender. So I think that one, you can just chalk that up as a win. I think it's going to come down to wing play, um, and I'm really keyed in on how Jaime Hawkins is going to play um, for UCLA. He was quiet. He was quiet against Michigan. He's due. Same with Jules Bernard. I think he's next factor. <laughs> Over uh, 15 or something like that? Uh, we'll see. He got hot against Alabama. What do you what do you see going in this one, Kyle? Um, so yeah, I think UCLA's only real shot is if they can somehow shut down Drew Temme in the paint, and I really don't see that happening. But if they could do that and then control the pace and keep it to you know longer possessions on offense and not let Gonzaga run up and down the floor, there might be a chance they can keep it you know within ten and uh, maybe not or and cover. But I I don't see them winning outright. Yeah, the line it opened at 12 and a half. I think it's ballooned to 14, which is the biggest in Final Four history. As of as of now, uh, at least that's what I read. There there may be some conflicting reports. I'm not I'm not sure, but um, there's been some, there's been some double digit lines before actually, and, and I think it's 50 percent on uh, the, against the spread on each side. So we'll, we'll see what we can do here. To your point, Tyson, I want to circle back on this. I think Tiger Campbell's probably going to be guarding Jalen Suggs. How does that affect the offense of Tiger Campbell? Because he he go he wants to get into the paint and create, but if he's spending his energy defensively trying to bottle up Suggs, that offense I think is going to be even throttled down further than it was against Michigan. That's how I feel too. I just think like 
he's a high energy player on offense. He loves just probing in the lane and kind of getting to his spots. But I mean, he for them to have a chance to win, he's going to play forty minutes if he can't. And that's saying that he's not going to get in foul trouble on one of the best guards in the country um, and having to guard him. Like, it's it's just bad. And you can't run a zone against Gonzaga because they're just going to make 43s. Yeah, and you like, saw UCF, USC tried because it worked yeah. against Oregon. That was it's, that was not a mistake. There's no, there's no clear way to beat this Gonzaga team. And that's going back to the argument of are they the best team um, ever? I don't know. But they're one of the best ones I've ever seen because – even going back when that Kentucky team was about to go uh, 40-0, and they lost to Wisconsin, I think, in the Final Four. Like, every team that I've seen that has this uh, moniker as the best, there's a way to beat them. I don't see the way to beat Gonzaga. Yeah, no, I, I – th- that's that's how I – you said it eloquently there. I mean, there really is no glaring weakness for Gonzaga. Now, let's go to the other side of the bracket. Let, let's start with Baylor. Uh Johnson alluded to them a, a little bit as they started to get going because they lost in the Big 12 tournament. And they, you know, obviously a good team in Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham, but they didn't perform very well down the stretch. You know, they had a few COVID pauses. I think that really caught up to them, just a lack of chemistry and on court experience together. But they're an older team. They figured it out pretty quickly, and then they've really hit this tournament, and they they got something to prove. Dominated Villanova, um, you know, crushed Arkansas. It really wasn't as close as that score said, and they're starting to score at will like they did earlier in the season. Like they're hitting threes, they're getting into the paint, they're hitting tough shots. They, I've been impressed with their response this tournament. Scott Drews had them ready to go. It's it's really the thing about Baylor is they're really really reliant on guard play. They're undersized as a team in in totality. Um, but this is a guard this is a guard sport, so they, they play a lot of hybrid positions, and you know they, they execute extremely well. Baylor, so Johnson, you're you're high on Baylor. I know you are. Why are you so high on them? I just like the way they've caught up with the momentum that, you know, obviously they had a slow start to the tournament and they've really caught on. You look at that game against Arkansas, you know, they got out to that fast paced lead. I think they were up, uh, they had an 18 point lead nine minutes into the game. I mean, you look at a team like Arkansas that's come back from double digit deficits, like every game, I think in the tournament, they're one of those teams. Right. But the re- I mean, the, really the reason, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Davion Mitchell and you look at him and, you know, he got in foul trouble early in that Arkansas game, but the way he came back, he's just even though I think he had I think he finished with twelve points, but you look at a guy like him who's impactful on the court in more ways than one, where he, whether he can make assists, you know, make special plays, I think that's paramount in this Baylor team. And and if you know they can create turnovers the way they did really you know, throughout the tournament, especially against Arkansas. I think they could keep the score low against uh, Houston, and I think they could cruise easily to the final. But it really just comes down to you know how much play they can get from their guards in terms of scoring in regards to being able to keep up with Gonzaga, assuming they make it to the final. I'll go. Uh, I think like personally for Baylor, you mentioned they're undersized. This is like a perfect final four matchup for them uh, with Houston because it's just going to be athletes. All, all uh, 10 guys on the court are just going to – there's really kind of positionless. Um, they all play – like you guys mentioned the three guards, but uh, Mitchell's like 200 – that boy's big. Like he, yeah. he's a big guard. He's super athletic. He can 
uh, guard everywhere. And Houston played really well uh, on the boards in the Elite Eight, but um, Baylor doesn't give those boards up easily. They, they play really hard, um, and that's what I've been most impressed with because it would have been easy when Arkansas was coming back, uh, cut it to four at one point. They could have rolled over, and instead they just made it look like that was just one of the runs in the game rather than the run to end of their tournament. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I don't have too much insight on either of these two teams. I have not watched their games very closely, I'll admit. But Baylor definitely has been getting hot recently, which is obviously important. We're coming down the stretch. It's the best time to be hot. And I really think they were impressive in their last game, coming out hot. Again, that's big, I believe, in college basketball. I mean, if you could put up 20-something points in the first 10, 15 minutes, uh, you know, and the other team is struggling, you know, going into half with a lead, I think that really bodes well to your chances uh, to win, especially with, you know, college kids who can't score, like obviously NBA players. But it'll be interesting to see how uh, Houston handles this matchup. I've seen some people, you know, online say that, you know, Houston hasn't played a single-seeded uh, or single-digit uh, seed yet. They're all yeah. double digits, uh, you know. So it'll be in interesting to see. I believe this is probably the best team that they've played up until this point. So I'm just excited to watch the game. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good game. And I, I, we had a group chat for those out there listening. I, I said early in the year, I was like, I think Houston's really good, and I think they're going to – they have their ceiling is the Final Four because they're really well coached, Calvin Sampson. They have older, solid guards, and they really defend well. And it, in college basketball, that, that goes a long way. You know, we saw Virginia. They've made a staple on it and how well they defend, uh, just elite defend. And, you know, I mean, that, we've talked about that Kentucky team with, with Anthony Davis, shot blocking, eraser, Joel Embiid, those can that Kansas team. So we've seen dominant defensive performances, and it pushes you – Obviously, Michigan State, when we think about March, them playing defense. What I think what Houston does extremely well is offensive rebound. And we saw that against Oregon State. I mean, they crash the glass hard. All four, there's like four guys who crash the glass and they get they get rebounds. Their best player is Quentin Grimes. He's a three and D guy. He can create his own shot. Marcus Sasser, he's a shooter, a good ball handler, really good leader. And but they're I think their most important player, their glue guy, is Jarrell because he does everything. He can go for 20 or he can only score four and impact the game, sometimes even more than when he scores 20. He's their heart and soul. They're a really well connected bunch. Saying that as, as somebody who's watched them a lot this year, going into this matchup, the edge that Houston has will be offensive rebounding. That's where that's where they're going to beat Baylor is second chance points. I think where Baylor has the advantage is pure shooting and, and just pure offense because Houston can go on spells where they, I mean, they just don't make shots and they turn the ball over and they don't really value the possession. We saw it as Oregon State climbed back into the game in the Elite Eight after Houston was up big. Houston just stopped really caring about the ball and they stopped making shots. And all of a sudden, here comes Oregon State climbing back in. So, that's something to keep an eye on matchup wise, especially for someone like you, Kyle, you know, who hasn't followed these teams too closely. That's kind of like my little crib sheet, little cheat sheet for, for a matchup on this one. I expect Baylor to win. I think they're the better team. I just think they have more firepower, but there is an absolute way that Houston 
can hang and beat Baylor. And I, yeah, you know, the, the double digit seeds, they haven't faced a single digit yet. That's a nice little story, in my opinion, for sports talk people, writers, sports TV, whatever. It's just a point. But this Houston team is legit. And they're, I think they're going to show it against Baylor. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking forward to it. Um, and like you, you mentioned, you know, them sometimes being sloppy with the ball. Um, that's definitely something that they're going to have to clean up, I think, if they're going to have a chance in this uh, game. And shout out to Kelvin Sampson, Montana Tech. Just want to get my yeah. shout out in. Yeah, you you texted me <laughs> when they're playing uh, Oregon State because we actually know uh, the Tinkles yes, because sir. you know we're from Missoula. He was the head coach of University of Montana. So Tyson and I, um, you know, we went to middle school and not middle school, I guess. We kind of grew up though. Went to high school with, with Trace, who went to Oregon State and actually played for Wayne. And then we went to high school with. Ellie Tinkle was the middle sister who played basketball at Gonzaga. And then the oldest sister, Jocelyn, she's like a two-time, three-time champion or whoever she was at Stanford. So really great basketball lineage in that family. Wayne's just an awesome guy. You know, I think Tyson, we, didn't you play the uh, Grizz Camp too for, for a couple of years? Yeah. Um, yeah. I know Trace real well. I know yeah. Wayne. Uh, yeah. Good people, man. And it was nice to see. Uh, we don't always get represented over here. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So final, so final four times. Houston and Baylor is at five fourteen uh, this upcoming Saturday. So they're they're the early game. I think in the late game is Gonzaga eight thirty four. I think that spells big time trouble for UCLA because Gonzaga always plays late games, <laughs> so they're gonna be comfortable. I think if they move them up to five fourteen, they'd have been like, oh shit, like we've never played this early before. But I'm, I can't wait for Saturday. This is this is gonna be spectacular. I mean, if you're a fan of basketball. These are, I think, these are going to be really fun games. I, I don't know how good that late game is going to be, so yeah, it might be, it might be time to hit the sauce pretty early. But I, I think that five fourteen game is going to be a good one. Yeah, it's definitely the better of the two. I wish it was second. I do wish Gonzaga UCLA was first, just to kind of get that one out of the way, and then because I don't want to go into Saturday night just with the Gonzaga blowout. But I mean, who knows? <laughs> it could be a close game. Uh, keep in mind the spread on that Baylor Houston game is five and a half. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but Baylor um, favored. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I don't know how to pick that. So <laughs> I would lean taking points with Houston because I think it's going to be a very tight game. And, it, it, you know, the more you offensive rebound, the more possessions you get and the more chances to score. But that's how I lean right now. But yeah, I would like a four point like Baylor victory, but I guess we'll see. I mean, even with Gonzaga and uh, UCLA at 14, I. <laughs> I hate betting those spreads. I hate the spread that's that high in the Final Four. I immediately hammered Gonzaga minus twelve and a half. So I did. I did too. But yeah. I still hate. I still hate that. Well, I mean, we'll we'll see, man. They, they, that team is they don't lose. So I Saturday. So let's are we do? What do we want to do? A, a look ahead. Let's say it's Gonzaga and Baylor. I think that's kind of the matchup everybody really wants, right? I mean, in my opinion, the two best teams in college basketball. I think if Baylor didn't have those stoppages, they have been one and two all year. You know, Michigan crept up there and Illinois crept up there by getting hot. But if, if Baylor didn't have those stoppages, I think they would have been consensus easily number two the entire season. And I think that's kind of the, the matchup we deserve after taking a year off from March Madness. We're going to get the two best teams in the country going at it on Monday night. It's going to be spectacular. So if that happens, what, how, do, how do you look ahead with that one, Johnson? 
looking for a shootout. I'm looking for points. I'm looking for an 89-83 Gonzaga victory. I'm Ooh. looking for <laughs> maybe like uh, fl- maybe flirting with a little overtime. Who knows? You know, oh. I mean? like I uh, I mean, it's you're right. It's a matchup we deserve. If if for some reason UCLA ends up playing Houston, I I, I just can't get behind that. <laughs> I I'll tune in, see what's going on, but you know, I, I mean, you're just looking for a melodramatic game. It's not going to be exciting. We deserve Gonzaga Baylor. It would be awesome. I mean, one of the more favorable finals that we've had in the past couple of years, I think. I think I might be in the minority. I think I'd rather watch Houston play Gonzaga, but I don't think Ooh. they're going to get by Baylor. I think Darrow is the only guy I've seen in the entire tournament that can, uh, be that X factor on defense to really try to uh, crash Timmy and still get back on shooters. But um, I do think that uh, Baylor's just going to be too much for him. But I think that game is going to be closer than people might think. I know the spread is tight, but I think general consensus is Baylor's going to win that game. uh, Really no issue, Uh, which I do think they're going to win. And if that's the matchup, man, I'm looking for – Gonzaga to really just put the demons to rest, man, mm-hmm. and just go out there and mm-hmm. get one. And um, it would be a great thing for that university, great thing for college basketball, really, because, like, we're talking about UCLA as the Cinderella. They got 11 banners. Like, yeah. how, how is – that's not a Cinderella. That's just <laughs> – they got hot at the right time. They got a coach with great pedigree. They got uh, great athletes all the way up and down. Like, this is not Loyola Chicago. So, I mean – I think that Gonzaga winning would be great for a parody in college basketball, especially with no Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky uh, really being good this year. Um, it kind of opens it up for next year. Like, oh, they didn't beat a blue blood, though. Mm, and that, okay. that's something that I'm looking for. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I'd love to see, actually, uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, and for a small non-Power 5 school like Gonzaga to go undefeated, beat a Power 5 school, and you know, really make history. I think that'd be great for the sport. Great for that university, the West Coast in general, and I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully, it's a high-scoring, fast-paced game. That's kind of the style of play that I like, and I think that that can definitely happen, especially with Gonzaga, just how efficient and crisp they are on offense. They really can score at will, so that's what I'm hoping for, and I'm going to hammer the over. (laughs) Kyle saying he likes YMCA ball. He just just wants to see a pickup game on Sunday. (laughs) Yep. Oh, I love it. Can't lie well, about it. <laughs> well, I you know I think the NCAA wants it as well. I heard you know, there might be hiring Tim Donaghy to ref both the Baylor <laughs> and the Gonzaga game just to make sure it happens. You know, right. just just to cover all bases. But well, I got to get his bookie, then I could bet on the same thing he did. We all make money. <laughs> exactly, it's a win-win situation. All right, let, let's put a pin in that. Saturday, we'll we'll see how these predictions come true, and then who's going to play champ for the championship on Monday. But let's switch over to a little hybrid college football and NFL, as we know, and as everybody knows, pro days have been taking place. And I think pro days are a little bit overrated in terms of like, yeah, of course you're going to look good. Like, are you going to look shitty on your pro day? This is literally made for you to look like an elite athlete and elite prospect. So I take it for what you, for what you will, but it certainly means that we're getting closer to the NFL draft. And we've seen some movement already. With the Dolphins trading with the Niners, then the Dolphins trading with the Eagles. So we've seen some shakeups. The Niners now sit at the third spot in the draft. Dolphins trade back, trade with the Eagles. Now they're six. Eagles are somewhere in the teens. Howie Roseman's being crazy. But 
what are what are you guys excited for most upcoming? Are, like, I guess here's my question around the draft: Is it more the mock drafts that you guys like? Is it more the pro day type of type of measurables type of stuff, or is it the hype around the draft or the draft itself? Like, what's your favorite part of this process leading up, up in, into the draft? Uh, who do you want? You want to start, Johnson? Yeah, uh, sure. So, uh, I mean, Brad, you really hit the nail on the head there with pro days. I'm not a fan at all. Really, you know, you put these guys in a comfortable environment. These are, you know, the top athletes at their game. They're going to make these throws. They're going to make these, you know, you know, they're going to hit the speed for this 40. They're going to, you know, hit certain reps or do whatever they do. Um, really, pro days should be just for the people on the bubble that really need it most. But what it's become is more just a spectacle of be like, hey, look at me. I'm going to make one throw and it's going to go viral on Twitter. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. The, I don't understand the point of that. But at the same time, you know, really, it's it comes down to the people that really concentrate on the NFL that don't follow college football and that haven't seen these athletes play in games. Like you look on a normal Saturday, you see Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, whoever, Zach Wilson making these throws constantly. But then, you know, they look at him in on pro day. It's like, okay, this is our guy. This is it. You know what I mean? Like this, this guy's actually really good. Well, you already knew that if you watched the games, I don't understand the point of it. I think it's inflated. Like, there's really no need for it. Um, like I said, it should be for the people that you know actually need it. That are maybe you know a mid, you know a mid round range or on the bubble of getting drafted. Um, really, what I'm looking forward to the most, though, is the Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. Um, you know, what team's gonna pick? You know, what team's gonna pick who when it comes down to the draft? Because you look at you look at it earlier where Justin Fields had that high stock and he was presumably gonna be the number two guy, the number two quarterback drafted. And then Zach Wilson is kind of coming on strong here um with this pro day and a lot getting a lot of hype from a lot of teams. So it's gonna be interesting to monitor that going forward. I think for me, my favorite part of this whole thing is like the smoke screen season. <laughs> I love it. I mean, right now it's like everybody – Mac Jones is going three to the Niners. It's You can book it. That's what everybody's saying. I've never seen a more perfect prospect for a Shanahan offense than Justin Fields. So, like, to say they're going to take Mac Jones definitively before um, we even get, like, a month out when teams really start uh, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what the media reports, that's <laughs> what I like. But um, going back to the pro day thing, this year has been super weird because it, everything's hand-timed. Like, all of these guys are scoring just ridiculous on their athletic scores. Like, everybody's running 4-4, four, 4-3. Four, four, yeah. Like, I mean, it's you got to take it with a grain of salt. And, like, I'm a big LSU fan. Jamar Chase just ran a 4-3-8. I watched every snap he took. He's not – He's he might be a 4-4 four, four guy. That's fast, but, like, a 4-3, that's, like, that's crazy. Kyle Pitts running these 4-4s. Four, Justin Fields hitting 4-4s. Four, uh, um, defensive ends running, like, 4-4. Four, four. That's just – I mean – at some point, it's like we get it. Like whoever's running the thing's got a broken thumb. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with the previous two comments. I really don't hold pro days in crazy high regard. There's really not much that it's going to tell us that we didn't already know. You know, there's no pass rush. They're not wearing pads. There's no DBs. They're not reading a secondary. Uh, you know, or you know backers dropping into coverage safeties you know spying and then dropping out it's really all i think for show and it has become a spectacle now in certain instances i do feel like it could help people on the edge or that didn't get a huge national spotlight 
you know, Zach Wilson is a pretty popular household name now, but, you know, to be fair, he played at BYU. It's not a crazy big program. They played a lot of games, 10.30 p.m. You know, people were busy doing other stuff or out. But, you know, I, I think in that instance, it could help someone like him. Obviously, everyone knows he's super talented. Um, from what I'm hearing and from my personal stance, I think he's definitely the number two guy. The Jets, in my opinion, would probably be stupid to pass on him. Now, whether or not they you know, take him or not, that's another story. I think with a new head coach coming in and Darnold kind of just being a disappointment in many people's eyes, they're probably going to move off Darnold. Uh, it's just going to pain um, me to see him there because as a Patriots fan, and I, I do like Zach Wilson, it's going to be hard for me to root for his success moving forward, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, I, I think the locks of so far of this draft season is Trevor Lawrence one and Zach Wilson two to the Jets. And so I here in New York, I listen to New York radio and one of these guys listen to. He's a he's he's wants the Darnold thing. He's like, Well, what's the package that the Jets I'm like, dude, there is no package that the Jets are gonna trade and not get Zach like Zach Wilson's their guy. You yeah. know, like they view him as their next Patrick Mahomes. And if you think that's your guy, I'm, I'm what three first round picks for what a tackle, a linebacker in a corner, or would you rather have Patrick Mahomes? You know, so I'm not saying he's going to be Mahomes, but that's what, that's what they view him as in some aspect in that offense that is going to come from Kyle Shanahan and Tyson, you said Justin Fields, perfect prospect for a Shanahan offense. Zach Wilson, I think, is really who they want. They're just hoping the Jets are the Jets and are stupid. And just that's why they jumped up. They're like, let's just test Joe Douglas. You know, he is he's coming from the Howie Rosen tree. If he is an idiot, it's gonna so, be a wide receiver that runs a four six. So I but that's what I think so far. But I I think there's a high possibility we're gonna go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback as the first three picks taken with the Niners jumping up. You think, I think four in a row. Four. I think really it's four. I think Atlanta would be wise to move out of that spot because if they're going to um, take a skill position player, their defense sucks. There's no uh, guys like Micah Parsons is probably the only defender um, good enough that you could like talk yourself into, but that still would be a huge reach at four. I think a team like Denver or Carolina um, is going to trade up to that four spot, um, especially with everything going on with the Sean Watson, like that whole sweepstakes is now closed. Yeah. Uh, until uh, further notice. So I think it's either move up to four or get left at the altar for a lot of these guys. Keep an eye on Carolina. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see if a quarterback does end up falling. Like if Trey Lance falls to, I believe, eight, I think that's Carolina's pick. Does Carolina pick him up? Do you guys I, think? I think so. I think, that, I think they want a massive upgrade over Bridgewater, and they're going to be like, listen – we can we can get this guy, have him. If I mean worst case scenario, sit for a year, but they'll probably try to shotgun him in there. Maybe what six games in the season, kind of like what they did with the Rams did with Jared Goff, like they planned on sitting him for a year. And it's like, hey, we'll just play him after like six games. So I think they they take him in a heartbeat. I think Trey yeah. Lance would be great for Carolina, and we all know that Bridgewater is just a placeholder anyway. Um, and Carolina has been desperate to find that guy ever since you know cam newton's mvp days so i think with that in place i mean you got to take him yeah and i think trey lance has that uh, mythical upside that all nfl front offices chase because i watch a lot of fcs football and i still have no idea like what he can be with wince it was pretty clear coming out north dakota state you know big arm 
uh, makes plays, wins games. Trey Lance is like, he might be Justin Fields. He could be like somebody that should, he could be Kellen Mott. Like we really, it's hard to tell. I think he's only thrown a little over 300 passes in college. And actually, so it's not a huge body of work. So it's definitely a project, but I definitely think there's, you know, potential for a huge upside there. Do you guys think uh, with Miami at six, let's just say for some weird reason, either Mac Jones or Trey Lance goes to the 49ers. Uh, Falcons either back out or don't take. Because like Tyson said, they definitely need def- defensive players. Uh, you know, their front seven is atrocious. <laughs> um, but sitting at six uh, with Miami, if Justin Fields, for example, is sitting there, even like Trey Lance, do they move off of Tua? I don't think so. I think they're fully committed to Tua at this point. Fitzpatrick's out. The front office has been nothing but supportive. Brian Flores has been nothing but supportive. They brought in one of Tua's old coaches. I think they're firmly committed to him for at least another year. And if it's like we got three first round picks, you know, if we can package something off in the future, some ass of some sort, maybe we can go get a quarterback. But I, I think they're ready to give the keys to Tua and see, at least see what he can do with the full season and full offseason. I like Fields better than I like Tua as a prospect coming out. Um, I think that there's three guys with Lawrence, Wilson, and Fields that I, w- I like better than Tua coming out. But like, quarterback back-to-back if you're not picking number one and you can't get like the guy i think they'd be better served uh to take whoever's left over between chase and sewell um and just kind of ride it out that way um or move back again depending on what they want to do but they like their team speed is slow on that offense i think they could benefit um at different spots before quarterback and like brad said they got assets um in next year's draft, they got Xavier Howard, who they've apparently been trying to move off of for a little while now. Um, so I I would consider it if I were them, but I just don't think it's the uh, smart uh, football move. Yeah. It would, it would definitely be tempting, but I think what they should do is really just take the highest graded player at what position, you know, what's available right then besides the quarterback and maybe give to a year. To be honest, I've never been high on Tua. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he could be an elite NFL quarterback. You know, obviously, I think there were rumors that, you know, like Deshaun was going to go to Miami and maybe they were hoping for that. But obviously, everything that's happened has put that at a standstill. But, you know, fair, give two or a year. But I think just get the highest graded position, especially on offense. You know, if they could get like a, you know, a, you know, a fast wide receiver or or try to, you know, I mean, even tool or something on the line. I don't know. But I mean, just give something that Tua can work with and maybe see where it goes for a year. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm way higher on Tua than, than all three of you guys, I think. I, he was my number one graded QB coming out of the Burrow Herbert class. Uh, I, I, I think he has potential, man. You, I mean, you can't teach accuracy. I mean, look what that did for Drew Brees. You know, I mean, it, it's a long career in the NFL when you're accurate, no matter how unathletic you are in the pocket. So I think if you get him some weapons besides Devontae Parker, you're you're gonna see the success that Tua had, and yeah, he was thrown to an All Star cast in Alabama, and did that inflate some of his stats, I'm sure. But extremely accurate, and I, I think under the right circumstances, he can be that leader in the locker room. But it's it feels like it's a prove it year for Tua, and it's crazy to say that with these quarterbacks now because it used to be 
you know, you, it's a rookie year. Then well, some now sophomore you don't. You have, you have you have one year, two years. Exactly, you know, that's it's it. crazy. There's so much turnover and there's so much on the market. The way it's fluid, it's insane. It's yeah. it's crazy now. So you got it's a prove it year almost every year now for these young guys. Yeah, especially with players coming out like Justin Herbert, who literally just broke all these NFL rookie records for you know quarterbacks in their first season. It really is like you have one season, maybe two, to prove yourself. If not, you know you're out of there. And I think this definitely is a prove it year for Tua if they do stick with him. And I think it would be wise if they plan on going that route to definitely draft someone on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense last year was already ball hawking. You know, they were top three in turnovers, I think, defensive touchdowns. So they're fine there. I think an underrated pick that not many people I have seen mentioned, but if he's still on the board, I would highly look into drafting Kyle Pitts if I was them. Now, I know they already have Mike Gesicki, but I think Kyle Pitts can just add another layer to that offense. He could line up out wide. He could line up on the line. And that's a you know dual threat at tight end at that point. That instantly becomes a top three or four tight end team in the entire league. And it definitely gives Tua some, some help. And with weapons like that, there really will be no excuses at that point. And I think it really will show them whether or not they want to stick with Tua or not moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And remember, Brian Flores comes from the Belichick tree, and he really loved that dual tight end with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk. And you think about it, it kind of is similar. You know, Gesicki's that big, long, rangy guy like Gronk was, then Hernandez slash Pitts, the speed and, and the, the chess piece that you can move around. And Tua really loved O.J. Howard in college. He loves the tight end, loves the middle of the field. So that that's a good pickup. I, it'd be tough for me to turn down Jamar Chase if he's still there because I think it's just so perimeter-dominated, um, save for Tom Brady, which what he does, dissecting the middle of the field. But the other quarterbacks that have had success, a lot of it's just outside of the hashes if you're going to go deep in the playoffs. So it'd be tough for me to turn down Jamar Chase. But I really like that Pitts thing. I'm, I'm – I might be changing my tune on that. That's a really good point. Um, let's <laughs> let's go. Let's switch back to the evil empire because we we had a year break last year after Tom Brady left, and it turns out the people who thought they hated Tom Brady actually really liked him. It was just that he was in the evil empire and he was part of the empire, right? Everybody was taking shots at the Patriots. Down year for him. Didn't look good. Cam Newton looked terrible at the quarterback position, but they've retooled, they've reloaded, and now it looks like Bill Belichick's on his way to, you know, competing for the division. They're going to have to, at this point, in my opinion, it's got to go through Buffalo. I think we're at that point with Josh Allen and McDermott, but they are reloaded and, and they're ready to go. Uh, we'll let Kyle open with this one since this is team. When you saw it happening, were you shocked, I guess? Because I think a lot of people were surprised how much money Bill Belichick was willing to dish out. But were you shocked as someone who's followed this team as a fan so closely? Uh, I'm going to say I was a little surprised, but I think it was much needed, especially from the tight end perspective. And we picked up Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, uh, Hunter Henry, which I'm extremely ecstatic about. Now he has had some injury issues, but I think once, you know, he gets healthy and he's rolling, you know, that's a two headed monster there in new England. And like you alluded to earlier uh, with Bill Belichick, he loves the dual tight end system. He loves running 
uh, you know, drag routes and stuff over the middle of the field. Uh, likes opening up, uh, you know, heavy with the run game and the play action. Um, so I really feel like those are two A plus pickups in my opinion. Um, on the outside, we got Aguilar uh, from the Raiders. You know, he had a pretty decent season last year. You know, he's not obviously one of my preferred wide receivers, but he could take the top off, which is something that we were lacking last year. So again, that kind of just adds another layer to our offense. We'll have Edelman back. We re-signed James White. So we're going to have some offensive pieces now. And, you know, last season, again, not many people say this, but they had eight defensive starters, like, opt out, mm -hmm. which is huge. Again, like, Bel Belichick is a defensive coach. And, you know, they weren't a terrible defensive team last year, but they definitely weren't what they could have been if those players, you know, would have stayed. Now, granted, Patrick Chung did end up retiring. Love him forever. He did so much for the team. I, I only wish him the best with his endeavors, you know, outside of the league now. But I really feel like we're going to be reloaded and Belichick's going to have everyone on that tight, tight wire going forward. You know, it'll be Cam's second year in the system. You know, it's been heard many times that New England has probably the most complex offense in the league. So a little bit of a learning curve. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt coming in. But I think, you know, it's going to be a lot of what we saw last year. Heavy run team into play action. And now we have some weapons at the tight end position to throw to. We have someone who could take the top off. We have Edelman, you know, still doing his incredible feats over the middle. Probably the toughest player I've ever watched play, especially at the wide receiver position. So I'm really looking forward to what's to come for the Patriots. I'm very highly optimistic. I definitely feel like they will be a 10-win team and, and get into the playoffs. Okay. Granted, there we granted go. I, don't, I don't think they're going to win the division necessarily, but I definitely feel like they are a playoff team at this point. Okay. There's a little prediction for you. AFC many, fan Johnson, how, what, what how, do you think about the reloading? Because they're your nemesis. <laughs> Remember, Patriots, they always beat the Steelers. As a Steelers fan, ever since the 2001 AFC Championship where they beat the Steelers, I have experienced 20 years of brutal tyranny <laughs> from New England, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick and its fan base. That's the majority <laughs> of my life. I'm 28 years old, right? I was heartbroken when the Steelers lost that championship game and the you know the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl. And it's amazing how Tom Brady can be such a likable guy when he's not in New England. Now <laughs> I would lie if I said I didn't enjoy last year when they were down. I love seeing Belichick frustrated. I love seeing Tom Brady succeed with another team. I love the chaos that was in New England. Like they're trying to figure things out. This is great. Cam's washed up. You know, they got no quarterback. This is awesome, right? I like to see them competitive. I'm glad they made all these signings. I think Belichick, I know Belichick is smart enough that he knows what he's doing with these signings to put all that money into investing Cam, even for just another year to see what to 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 get that back potential that cam has i mean we're talking about an nfl mvp here at one point right not too long ago there's still something there and if anyone could harness what cam has it's bill belichick and his staff um so i hope they're competitive this year i hope they get it going um because it's just let's be frank it's like it's more enjoyable when new england's kind of in it and good and now that they have this rivalry with buffalo sort of leading the division and and you know 
taking taking back the AFC East, it's it's exciting. And then maybe if the Jets can get their shit together, and then maybe <laughs> if Miami can do something with Tua, maybe we have a you know a more competitive division than you know New England running away with it every year. So I'm excited. Did not expect it to go that route. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I don't know, man. What you wanted me to say? Like it's, it's. Well, I, I was love, honest. I, I love to see the Patriots miserable. I love it, but it is more <laughs> exciting when they're good and when Cam's good and you know Bill Belichick. I love to see him flustered. It's so great. Um, wow, I just sounded like Trump there. <laughs> Getting snippy with the reporters, the Belichick, <laughs> like when he gets pissed. pissed. What about yeah. what about you, Tyson? What 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 was your thoughts? I know. I think there was a little skepticism within you about this. All yeah. the signings. What did you, um, you think? First of all, I think the Jonas Smith signing was the biggest one of the offseason for him. I know people are head over heels for Hunter Henry, and rightfully so. He's a really good tight end. But um, outside of, like, the Aaron Hernandez days, they love inline blocking tight ends. And Jonas Smith is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. He's 25 years old. Um, lock, to lock him down, and he's a freak athlete. I think that he's going to be their X factor going forward. Um the one misstep I think they had this offseason is spending all of their money so soon. I think mm. um, that Aguilar contract is fine, you know, but, like, John Brown's going for – his going rate is a year and a couple million dollars. They paid Nelly a lot of money. Um, and if they can unlock that potential, then it'll be a steal. But I just think that they set the market on some of these guys in a year that they didn't necessarily need to. Granted, they had the money to do it, and the cap's going to go back up. So maybe I'm going to look like an idiot if the cap rises $30 million next year. Um, but I think that the best thing to happen to them is, like Kyle said, a lot of people coming back that weren't in the system, weren't in the locker room last year that are champions, that know the Patriot way, that respond well and can really get these guys going. And I'm excited to see um, how they're going to use Johnny Smith. I know what Hunter Henry is. I think Johnny Smith has a level above – that that he can reach that he wasn't able to do in Tennessee because they lost Taylor Lewan, um, and he had to do a lot more blocking duties in Tennessee, which allowed Fersker um, to kind of come out and play well. And I think um, the Patriots are just such a machine on the offensive line. Um, they got guys stepping in all the time you've never heard of that put together great seasons. Um, so I think they're going to let Jonu kind of – he'll be eating – for the next four or five years. And that that's what I'm really looking forward to. I don't like Cam Newton anymore. I mean, I'm a fan of his personally, but I don't think he's the guy taking you to the second round of the playoffs anymore, um, unless you get a great matchup. Um, so I'd be looking to see what they have planned at the quarterback position. Um, depending on what San Francisco does, I know everybody's saying <laughs> that Jimmy's not coming home, but I mean, his value has got to be at an all time low, especially around the trade deadline. Um, once, uh, Wilson, Fields, Lane, like whoever they take um, really is ready to step in in San Francisco. I think Jimmy's going to get shipped back uh, to New England. Wow. Okay. We got some takes here. So here's a little food for thought because I saw Belichick spending and he's never spent this much money before this early in free agency. Maybe even ever. I, I forget what the actual actual number is and, and how those st statistics break down. But I was thinking how much leeway – he has to be able to do something like this and obviously with good reason which is how good of a coach he is in the history he's had but when's the last time that the top spenders and free agency have ever done anything in the nfl 
like Washington always is a high spender. The Raiders are always are notoriously spend and overpay. The Eagles, as Tyson, I know very well, one year went and Vince Young shouted dream team. team. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. And now we're sitting here, we're like, oh my God, Belichick signing all these guys. Like, it's going to be great. And it's like, do we say it because it's Belichick and that's obviously deserves it? Or is it because, or should we really look at it like how the history of the NFL is like, the reason why they're spending so much money to try to get new players is because their players suck. You know <laughs> what I mean? So they're trying to do an overhaul through free agency because dirty secret in New England, Bell Belichick has not done a good job drafting in the past like five years, maybe even the last decade. If you really look at it, they're great players have come from inside the league signings because their drafts have not been very good. So I was like, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit with just being like, oh, the Patriots are back. You know, like, you know, they still got Cam Newton who can't throw a football. <laughs> and so I, I always say, let's pump the brakes a little bit. I, I don't think the divisions I mentioned off the top of this this talking point. The division's not New England anymore, in my opinion. It runs through Buffalo. McDermott's a great coach. Josh Allen, he's going to be an MVP candidate for a few years as long as um, the offensive coordinator, Brian Dayball, stays until Josh Allen's really ready to make that next step. So it's going to be tougher, especially with the harder division. I think Miami's getting their shit together. Who knows about the Jets? That's always a wait-and-see type of deal, but it's it's going to be tougher for Bill. Yeah, I actually do want to mention something and circle back to the one point you just made about you know what has a team ever done signing a lot of free agents? Well, I could make the argument that Tampa just won the Super Bowl last year. Uh, you know, signing Brady, Gronk, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette. Um, I'm pretty positive that all four of them scored the the touchdowns, all the touchdowns for Tampa in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, hey, that's just one one quick example that you know when the right pieces are there and they're in the right system, you never know what could happen. And I think, you know, McDaniels and Belichick have proven that that system that they have going up there definitely, I'd say, works to some degree. And I believe that if everyone's focused on the team, they can definitely, I think, easily now with the talent they have, especially on offense, hit 10 wins. I'm not going to go over that just because, again, they are new and it is going to be their first year in the system. And I'm not a huge fan of Cam as a football player. Again, I don't he's he's a cool guy personally. But he's not, you know, someone to take the top off anymore. His accuracy has never been a strength of his, which is something that I value pretty high as a quarterback, especially in the NFL. But (laughs) if, you know, if you guys, I don't know how much uh, of the New England games you guys watch, but last year they were two bonehead plays, you know, away from winning two more games if Cam – wasn't making ill-advised throws or fumbling the ball inside Buffalo's 20. So, you know, that's nine and that's a nine and seven team last year. If that didn't happen. Very impressive. Nine and seven team too, if all things considered. And yeah. And then like the uh, Kansas city game, you know, they were in it at, at halftime cam had COVID. I believe it was a uh, Stidham and Brian Hoyer in there. Uh, two, two uh, possessions inside Kansas city's 10 ended up with no points. Mm-hmm. Like I think before half time expired and then another time, I think they fumbled or threw a pick, but it was just like, come on, man. Like they were competitive in these games. So I definitely feel like with the, you know, rejuvenated offense that they seem to have going, I, I think it's very feasible that they're, they're a playoff team. And that's what I'm saying. They will be. 
interesting thing uh, spot that I was following actually it, it, that caught my eye this offseason, the New York Giants. And I don't know, it might be having something to do with all the Giants talk I hear on, on the radio, but it's they're an interesting spot because they got Kenny Galladay, which is that's really what the Giants need. They needed a number one guy. It, it all depends on the health there for Kenny Galladay. But we're coming in on is Gettleman the guy at GM? We think Joe Judge is a guy at the helm and the head coaching position. But it's really all about Daniel Jones this season. So they go out and get a receiver. Hey, what does Daniel Jones look like with a true number one? I don't know. A lot of my friends are Giants fans. They're they're pretty high on this season. I think best case scenario, the Giants finish or best case scenario, they finish second. I don't see there's a, a path for them to win this division with with Dak coming back, presuming he's healthy. I think Washington got a lot better, but I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy at, for, for the Giants. And I was fairly high on Daniel Jones coming out. I didn't think he was going to be awful. I mean, people were saying immediate bust when when he, he was taken so high. I didn't go that far, but it, it, I don't see. I don't just don't see the juice with this team. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they perform. Barkley's going to be back, but I think the O line still sucks. That's a that's a, something that they haven't addressed. And it, it feels like the same old Giants. They just got Kenny Galladay and say, hey, hopefully he fixes everything. Yeah, I mean, the state of New York football is not great. And, you know, it's great to have Saquon back. Daniel Jones at best can be your, can be, you know, your average quarterback to, you know, help you win a few games, but nothing special is ever going to come from it. Um, they have to start thinking long-term in regards to just rebuilding that offense around Barkley and getting that quarterback that could elevate them to take that next stance to win a division title and be competitive really in the playoffs. And I just don't see that with Daniel Jones. You're right. I think that you being high on Daniel Jones doesn't uh, speak too well to my confidence in Tua since you just mentioned you were high on him too. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, no, I mean, we were talking about prove it years with Tua, and this is definitely the same thing with Daniel Jones. I mean, if there's a guy with a bigger catch radius in the NFL than Kenny Galladay, you got to show him to me because this dude, he goes up and he gets everything. And we know Daniel Jones is not um, putting it right on your back shoulder. You know, they're going to be difficult balls to catch. Um I think Sterling Shepard's okay. I think uh, Darius Slayton's okay. I think Evan Ingram is um, overrated. I think that uh, that's something they need to address too because, like, he, he cost them two games last year. And they're sitting there bitching about the Eagles benching Jalen Hurts like they didn't make the playoffs. It would play better. Like, that's on, that's on you guys. And now Saquon coming back, I think um, this will be the best offense he's ever led uh, by a comfortable margin. Um, the defense is – it's good. I mean, it's above average. I wouldn't – like, you're not – it's not Washington's defense um, in the same division. And I agree with you that uh, Dallas with Dak, if they can go get a corner in the draft, they're going to be looking a lot better. Um, Washington just really was a quarterback away from – they gave the Bucks the biggest fight they had in the playoffs last year with Taylor Heineke. Heineke. Uh, and they got uh, Curtis Samuel coming in too. So, I mean, it's just – it's a classic New York Giants offseason where, like, everybody's all hype on them before the season starts, <laughs> and it's 9-7, and seven, somewhere in there. I mean, things have to break really well for this team to win 10 games. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree for the most part. The Giants, their offensive line is still pretty atrocious. 
in my opinion. And if you can't protect your quarterback or your running back, especially in, in today's league where offense is so prevalent, I don't see them winning the division uh, or making the playoffs in that, in that case. Uh, I definitely do think it probably is a prove it year for Daniel Jones, you know, with the, um, you know, with Kenny Galladay, uh, Galladay coming in, that's probably, you know, since I guess, did he play, did Beckham play with uh, Jones, Daniel Jones at all? Oh man, I don't, think, I don't think so. No. Well, that might, this might be uh, Daniel Jones's best receiver that he's played with in the NFL up until this point. Um, but we got to see, we got to see, I mean, if Saquon's again getting hit in the back backfield every time he touches the ball, you know what? What are they going to do? We have no run game. It's hard to you know do play action or push anything down the field. I'm, I am a fan of Wayne Gallman. I think he hits the hole pretty hard, and he's pretty decent in pass protection. So I definitely like to see him continue to be featured in some degree uh, in the offense. I think he's definitely a valuable asset and an underrated asset at that to the team. And you know for for Joe Judge, you know, as a Patriots fan, it, it hurts me in any capacity to, you know, somewhat root for the Giants. But <laughs> Joe Judge coming from New England, it seems like he's pretty well liked there up until this point. So I hope for his own sake and, you know, his legacy and just tenure as a head coach, I, I hope it works out uh, for him there. And Wayne Gallman getting more features, that'll help with the health of Saquon Barkley. You know, you're not going to pound him into the ground. He's definitely not like an Adrian Peterson type of guy. Again, few are Adrian Peterson. I mean, this dude's still playing in the NFL, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, that that'll help out a lot. I, I agree with the the Gallman point there. But guys, I I think the biggest story of the offseason came what a couple days ago that maybe it was yesterday, but time's kind of flowing together here. But the NFL decided that they're going to approve a 17-game schedule, and it's going to be effective immediately. So next season, we're going to have 17 games. Let's let's go around the horn here. Just initial thoughts when you heard it. Did you like it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you intrigued by it? Johnson, leave it on me. I love it, man. More football. One less preseason game. Um, obviously, it was you know approved by the owners, by the NFL and all that. They wanted this. They were pushing it. I didn't expect it to come so soon. This is really a shock to me. I just saw it come out of the blue. And, you know, obviously there were talks, but, you know, for it happening right now, that kind of kind of threw me for a loop. But I like the way the matchups are set up, where they're doing cross-conference, uh, same position in another division. So, for example, the Seahawks are going to play the Steelers. Uh, you know, you're going to get some really great matchups out of this. You're going to see Green Bay, Kansas City. Um, as far as having 17 games in the regular season, you know, we kind of, you know, last year they added another wild card team, right? So, you know, things were changing. Um, you know, people didn't like that, but I think it's going to be more accepted just because you're going to get used to it. And, you know, it might be a big deal to some people now, but in the long term, it's, it's not going to matter. So, um, you know, this was kind of, you know, this has been in talks for years now, you know, mm -hmm. as far back as, you know, like, you know, seven, eight years. So um, I'm glad they finally pulled trigger on it. And, um I think it's a good thing all around, except for the players. We'll see what their their reactions are moving forward with this. 
I mean, shout out to the Chicago Bears for never not, never having a 4,000-yard passer in the 16-game season. Only, <laughs> only team to finish with that. And their owner is the only one that voted against the schedule. I wonder if there's a little connection there. I but, think there's uh, a correlation, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it's, it's fine. Um, cut the preseason down. Uh, that's the hopes. And if you're like a bottom-of-the-roster guy, another paycheck doesn't hurt. Um, I, it's just going to be so weird seeing – 10 and 7 you know like these <laughs> records, you're no longer no longer 500 there's no more 500 teams. Right. That's yeah it. it's crazy and then on top of it like i'm gonna have to explain to my kids in 20 years why their generation's andy dalton is not better than drew Brees. he just got to play more games <laughs> like that's the argument i'm not looking forward to having yeah oh my god yeah for myself i mean i'm all for cutting out a preseason game Definitely cut down on those. I think there's meaningless and pointless injuries that occur when players didn't have to be on the field that take place in the preseason, which can damper a team's you know whole beginning of the year. Um, in terms of the extra game being added, I mean, again, as an avid football fan, it's going to be nice for me to watch an extra game. But I'm also hesitant because looking at it from the player's perspective, I don't know if I'd specific, like actually want to play another game. Again, with the risk of injury before the playoffs, you also might see if a team has a two or three game lead in the division, they might be sitting all their starters to, again, protect the health of their starters. So hopefully towards the end of the season, there's not a lot of that going on. But I have a sneaking suspicion that there will be, especially from teams like Kansas City, who's probably going to, continue to blow a lot of that division out of the water. So we'll see in that regard. But I think overall it was it was kind of unexpected, but I think it's a little early to say if it's going to be positive or negative. That's just my personal view on it, though. Yeah, that, that, I, I think those are all valid points. For me, when I saw it, I was like, well, about time, because I think we all knew it was going to come because the money is going to increase and not just for the owners, but for the players as well. 50, 50 rev split. So the players will benefit in terms of what they're going to get in their pocket at the end of the day, when we go back to the TV deal and we really see how that breaks down. I love the ability Johnson. You kind of ran through it. The ability to um, flex schedule a lot of these now, like the, the, the interesting matchups across the visions. I think that's good for the game. That's going to build more excitement. So in terms of what it does for the NFL, I think it continues to grow. It's going to continue to generate interest, right? So a Seattle team faces a Pittsburgh team that, you know, are we going to be able to have, I don't know, an L.A. Boston, you know, Lakers Celtics type of rivalry somewhere in the NFL instead of just being coastal, you know, New York versus Philly, Dallas versus Philly, even though, you know, that's a different time zone, but just in terms of that with division stuff. So I think it's good. And to your point, Boak, when I am intrigued with the players, I would like a double buy, to be honest. I think that's that's fair if we're going to be nitpicky. And as much as buys suck, I mean, when you're playing, do you, do you really even notice? Like sometimes it sucks when your team's not playing, but it's like, you know, you kind of look forward to the buy. You can just relax on red zone. You don't have to have multiple screens up. So as a consumer, I'm excited. Uh, for the players, I think it's good. They're going to make more money in general. The cap should go up for them. And uh, I, I would just like for them to go forward. The NFL should institute a double buy. I think that'd be that'd be fair 
for all parties involved. Yeah, I like that. And it's also going to allow the NFL, as they continue to expand to the UK or even Mexico, more flexibility in scheduling those games, getting more teams overseas, try to put more product you know, in that environment to see where there might be a case for a possible London team. So I think that's part of it as well, just more flexibility overall in terms of scheduling. Double buy is a great idea. I like all that. That's interesting. I never even thought about that. Put a buy before London game, buy afterwards for um, everybody. That could be something they're looking at down the road. That could open up a lot of doors. Unless yeah. Shad Khan just moves the team there. I mean, bro, with Trevor Lawrence, they're going to be packing this day. Yeah, you're People right. Are People are back. What I'm looking for is the Tom Brady homecoming in New England. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's going to be very, are very you booing? interesting. Are you guys going to give like a 10-minute standing ovation and then go to booing, or is it just all love, all game? I mean, I, I love Tom Brady. I, I've said this 100,000 times. I'm his biggest fan. Anything he does, I will support him in. I wish him nothing but the best. And other than this game, when he's playing New England, I hope he wins every game. And if New England isn't in, in the uh, Super Bowl or a deep doesn't have a deep run in the playoffs, I hope Brady wins another. And that's just coming from a diehard fan of literally 16, 17 years now. So, <laughs> well, so his routine in the gym is actually TB12. He just unveiled it to us. He's doing the TB12 method. Yeah, I am. That's trying, routine. To, trying to keep my youth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to do the Benjamin Button. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, we've almost been going for an hour and a half here. Um, I think there, you know, we ha- we said we had a lot to say. I think we definitely said a lot. You know, we do have more to say, but you know, let's let's table a lot of conversation because I think there's gonna be more moves coming up as we get closer to the draft. You know, there's gonna be more movement. We say this every year. The NFL draft, there's gonna be movement, movement. I think it's gonna be more pre-draft movement than normally on draft day movement. So. I'm excited for that free agency. I think it's still going to continue to ramp up or just other name signing trades, yada, yada, yada. Back to what we were talking original Saturday. Can't wait for the games with college basketball. Hopefully get a, get a great matchup Monday and we'll have to do this again, boys. It's, it's always a fun time. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. Just oh, one yeah. thing on, just one thing on the soccer side, the, uh, Oh yeah, yeah, the soccer court. Yeah. I forgot about that. We're I had a lot of notes, but we're gonna we're gonna cut this short because uh, <laughs> I don't know. The Premier League's been pretty standard this year. It hasn't been too exciting. Man City's gonna win another title, run away with it with Liverpool yes. being down. But the big news is the U.S. men's national team fails to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics for the third straight year. Honduras will be representing um, for their fourth straight. So shouts to the men's national team. So. Here's the thing. Does that suck? Yeah, it's not very good, but it's all U23 for the Olympics. So, yes, uh, a lot of those U23 players are on the men's national team and they were playing at the same time. So it was really like the third, the C squad. I agree, but there still should be more expectations, higher expectations. There should be. And it's a little bit disappointing. I just love the way. The teams are set up in Europe with the academies, with, you know, with the culture that that they instill, even when they're, you know, seven to 10 years old. It's insane. Um, But uh, on a lighter note, uh, we have the um, Champions League quarterfinals coming up here uh, next week. Um, You know, uh, 
I think Liverpool's still your favorite. Bayern second, and then Chelsea's got a good draw with Porto. Um, you know, to make it to the semis. So keep a note on that. Um, this is the year Man City wins it. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. And then keep an eye on Christian Pulisic moving forward. His future with Chelsea is uncertain. Um, basically, Mason Mount has he's been you know you know those two have been really fighting for a position, and Mason's been getting the better deal with the new. Um, uh, with Thomas Tuchel as the new manager there. So uh, keep an eye on him this summer. Maybe he might be moving somewhere else. We'll see. But, you know, he's the he's the pride of the American side. So we hope we hope for him the best. You know, it's pr- it's pretty crazy with the Tuchel thing because he was the coach at Dortmund. He really gave Pulisic the first chance. So Well, that's what that was what the initial reaction was. This is great for Pulisic, but it's it's taken a complete 180. So he's got to get his hamstrings healthy, man. He's been injury prone. It's setting him back, and there's so much potential that are unlocked. So you know, we'll hope for him to to rebound here. And you know, if he finishes strong, you know, he could stay at Chelsea for a long time. But ultimately, we're going to see. We could see Mohamed Salah make a move, but um, I don't think with the financial crisis and the whole COVID thing, a lot of teams have the money to pay for him. Uh, Paul Pogba, United, um, kind of the same thing. Uh, so there's a few people that could be on the move, but you know, we'll keep the we'll keep that in mind moving forward this summer. Yeah, that, no, it should be fun, man. I, I love that, football. I can't believe I I uh, cut you out in your soccer corner. And that's John's soccer corner. <laughs> I know that's what the people are here for. Hey, that was good. It was a good little tidbit. I know Bokwin thinks you're speaking Chinese right now. He only likes the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, I only like the uh, national teams. Speaking of that, I cannot believe Germany lost. Oh, uh, my today. God. Well, the Mo- North Macedonia something. Yeah. Insane. Oh, Historic. So, so bad. It's so bad. Sad. Also, little little tidbit as well for the uh, John Soccer Corner. Lewandowski's out for four weeks. He's going to miss the PSG matchup. And Byron, Byron might be able to be beaten by PSG. So Yeah, that's that's, 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 awesome. that's your most interesting um uh, quarterfinal matchup for the Champions League, so I'm going to tune into that, and y'all should too. All oh, right. Well, oh. I do have one recommendation. If you're not into soccer and want to start to get into it, listen to the Caught Offside ESPN football podcast. Uh, it's hosted by Andrew Gudling, who's like this uh, middle-aged white guy, suburban dad outside New York uh, <laughs> with kids, and then it's this uh, JJ Devaney. He's this Irish dude who's funny as hell, and uh, <laughs> it's a good way to get into the whole soccer world and, and you know see what's going on. And you know, if you're interested, check it out. Hell yeah, we'd love love the plugs. Well, boys, again, this this has been spectacular. Love doing the sports companion shows for you tuning in. Uh, pr- we appreciate it. Appreciate the support. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the conversation we're going to continue to keep them going so um from from myself brad to johnston to tyson to kyle appreciate you guys coming on i appreciate you all listening out there hey feeling good like i should when in the walk around the neighborhood feeling blessed never stressed got that sunshine on my sunday best Every day can be a better day despite the challenge All you gotta do is leave it better than you found it It's gonna get difficult to stand but hold your balance I just say whatever cause there is no way you're it. Everyone falls down sometimes 
but you just gotta know it'll all be fine. It's okay. It's okay, it's okay hey, Feeling good, like I should When in Doku, walk around the neighborhood Feeling blessed, never stressed Got that sunshine on my Sunday best hey, Some days you wake up and nothing works You feel surrounded Gotta give your feet some gravity to get you grounded Keep good things inside your ears just like the waves and sound it And just say whatever cause there is no way you're grounded Everyone falls down sometimes But you just gotta know it'll all be fine It's okay Sunday best Hey, feeling good Like I should